Hey everyone and welcome to episode 181 of Final Fantasy Union. I'm your host Daryl and I think this might be a first because I'm actually here by myself today. I'm super excited though because the reason I'm here by myself is because of the birth of our second child who we called Elizabeth. Uh, So Lauren is actually currently looking after her and um, yeah, it means that I'm here by myself for you all today. Hopefully I can give you an entertaining show nonetheless. I'm going to try and play devil's advocate with myself where possible and try to fill the Lauren role as best as I can, but um, we'll we'll see how things go. Um, we've got some interesting topics for you guys today, so uh, we're going to have a two-segment show. We've got a discussion around the whole games-as-a-service topic that's been, I guess, floating around for the last year or so and has resurfaced thanks to an interview that Tabata has just done. And then we've got some questions that haven't been answered on some of the previous episodes that have just kind of been overflow, and I've decided to resurface those so we can tackle some of them today. Because I'm here by myself, though, it, it may be a slightly shorter show. I'm going to see if I can uh, keep things interesting and engaging for as long as I can. Um, but obviously, I have no one to play off. There's no one. I At least when I was doing kind of the live chats on YouTube, I had people in the comments giving me stuff to talk about or tangents that I could go down. With this, though, I am literally by myself. I've got some notes about things I want to talk about, just some different conversation topics. But we're going to see how things go because, um, yeah, I've not done this before, but uh, hopefully it goes all okay. Uh, For you new folks who are listening, though, obviously we would normally have um, Lauren with me. She is the co-host of the show. And Final Fantasy Union is part of a podcast series called Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts Union. And it's presented by the Gaming Union Network. We have a new show every Tuesday working in rotation with Kingdom Hearts Union. And we come out on the iTunes store as well as FinalFantasyUnion.com where you can find all our news coverage which is provided by Brayden. We also have a YouTube channel where we do loads of cool stuff like listicles, origins videos, and uh, we're, we've actually started on a new evolution series. Uh, we're about we're closing on seventy thousand subscribers now, which is which is insane, insane. I still can't believe that we're doing so well on YouTube. Um, okay, so we're now going to go on to our Patreon shoutouts. I'm going to try and get through these as best as I can. Uh, usually, as I said, we normally have someone to play off here, so it makes it a little bit easier. Um, but uh, this is for everyone who has paid two dollars fifty or more per episode on our Patreon. So we're going to kick things off with Blue Machine at Blue Machine, Lewis James, Nahi Klablawi, Barry Norton at Nortron Zero, Chris Morales, Eric Decker at Choco Taco, Michael Graham, Thorin Bullen at Masker 23, Zach Duranto at Zed Duranto 58, Josh McNabb, Mohammed Kayum, Rachel Casterton at Urbayon Ray, Mike Shirley Donnelly at Curious Quail, Zelda Clone at Apes Type Novels, Darren Matthews at Doomster 73, Joseph Robertson at Pokemon Trainer J, Keith Field at The Mighty Keith, Billy Jackson at underscore Billy Jackson, Mike, Ishbel Ayala at Red Beppers, Vitanitas, Rob Porter at Squirty Bertie One, Tobias Cappy at The Tobias Kepi, Nathaniel Jackson, Miles Ribbons, David Calro, Tori Patrick, and last but not least, Chris Pope at Dr. Pop181, who's actually a new Patreon supporter. So welcome to the Patreon family, Chris. Hopefully uh, you enjoyed your shout out. All right, so now we're going to move on to our main topic of the episode, which is games as a service. So as I mentioned uh, just a little while ago, this has been a topic that's been rolling around for uh, you know a good part of two years, um, kind of made a resurgence at this point last year. 
um, but it's it's just been put back into the the main consciousness because of an interview that Hajime Tabata has done with Polygon. Um, I think it was at, it must have been at the Tokyo Game Show where he was talking uh, to them about basically the Final Fantasy 15 DLC, what's happening with Season Pass Two, but also uh, some of the things that they're looking to implement with Luminous Studios. And part of that conversation uh, revolved around games as a service because Final Fantasy XV ended up evolving into a game that was a service. And uh, Tabata said the line, all our future businesses and projects are going to be service-based. Now, people started obviously freaking out about this because um, they were thinking that every single Square Enix property is going to be games as a service. Now, from what I understand, that isn't the case. Tabata was literally just talking about his own projects, what they're going to be doing in Luminous Studios. And considering how things have gone with Final Fantasy XV, they've obviously grown into that model and seen how they can try and make it work. So, you know, it makes sense for them to try and adopt that moving forward. And um, I guess the one thing he didn't say was how much of a degree the game's going to be service-based. Yeah, sure, every game could be service-based. It's like when they said... I don't know, like over a decade ago that every single game that Square Enix produced will have online in some way. They didn't say that every single single game was going to have an online multiplayer element or anything like that. They just said there's going to be an online aspect to it in some way, shape or form. And obviously that manifested in different ways. I mean, Lightning Returns had its thing. Final Fantasy uh, XV obviously had Comrades. Um, they they've tried to implement online in in different ways, uh, but it was never just that extreme thing. And I think that's what people's fear is around this. And if we look back actually to to when this uh, kind of rose a little bit more into the public conscious, which was when Matt Sutter, obviously the CEO of Square Enix, I think September 2017, he said, uh, I think it was in one of the earnings reports that they were they were going to be doing games as a service in a much more uh, prominent way. The, the actual quote he said was that they wanted to do it to increase customer satisfaction and enhance the lifetime value of the games themselves and that they would endeavor to develop games designed not to be played once after launch, but that customers could enjoy more and more and play longer and longer. When he said that, again, people started to get really concerned about what that actually meant for the franchise. Is it going to be the end of single-player games? Are they going to be focusing on multiplayer specifically? And uh, Matt said actually took the time to, um, I guess, clarify some of the things he was saying. Uh, He did an interview at the start of this year where he said that people had taken what he'd said out of context, essentially, and that obviously games as a service, as when they said the multiplayer thing, games as a service can mean anything. It's it's. It's basically saying there will be a persistent element to the game. And as he clarified, he said, when we were talking about that, we weren't really talking about like micro microtransactions or things that would necessarily get you to spend more money. He was talking about it in the broad sense. Uh, and he said, if you look at the idea of adding things to a game after release to keep it fresh and exciting, to keep people playing it over a long time and all the different ways you can do that, that's what we want to do. And he said that people have become too focused on the problems and not looking at the cool things that they could do and the the fun ways that they could make people become more engaged with the product. And I think that's really my, like the way that I would look at it in terms of trying to look more at the positive about this. Because if you look at Final Fantasy XV, okay, so I don't think that games as a service or, or having the game be play out in the way that it has was their initial vision. There's no way that when uh, Nomura came up with a concept with the guys uh, back in, I don't know, 
2005-2006 that uh, they had the, the the idea that Final Fantasy Versus 13 was going to be a game that played out the way it did over the last two years. And when Tabata took over the project, I think he, maybe it was earlier this year when Luminous Productions, um, well, Luminous Studios was founded, he opened up a bit more about the process and how things actually ended up happening. And he basically said that they were forced to adopt that approach because they just didn't have the time. They had to try and get this game out as quickly as possible. And to do so, they did things like Episode Dust Guy, where they wanted to try and get feedback from the fans to see if that not necessarily to sway the way they were doing things, but more just to make sure that they were kind of doing sense checks. And if fans did have good ideas that, that and, and they aligned to what they were already working on, that they could maybe prioritize certain things. And at the time he'd said that, yeah, that's, that's very much the way that they tried to do it. I think there's been this kind of misconception that they're using the fans to basically develop the game for them. But he said uh, in this interview, actually reconfirmed that, it was. It's actually a rare situation where the de- what they're working on with the from the development perspective actually aligns to what the customers want. But they use that to try and benchmark. When it does align, that's great for them. They can say like this is perfectly aligned. Or they might try and take what the customers are saying and then think, oh well, maybe that um, works in with this idea or or this concept that we were working on, but maybe we didn't think was actually that important or that people weren't wouldn't be interested in that. And then they'll try and, and, and rework things. They basically use it to, as a bit of a sense check. Um, and obviously, if people do come up with valid concerns, so obviously one of the things from episode Dusk Guy was that people didn't like Noctis's voice. And, you know, it was such a prominent complaint that they decided to change it. Uh, and, you know, th- that's the kind of thing where it's it's a good thing to have. But I think, obviously, if you're looking at how things played out, is it a positive the way that it went? In some ways, yes, I'd say. I mean, everyone who's listened to the show knows that from my perspective, the DLC, well, you know my my feelings about DLC in general, but Final Fantasy XV's DLC was a bit of a shambles. There's no real way around it. Like they, they even said beforehand that they didn't really know what they were going to do with the DLC. They knew they wanted to have an episode for each of the characters, but they hadn't really planned out what was going to be in them. And that seems to be a common approach with Square Enix. I mean, Nomura even a couple of months ago said that He's thinking about doing DLC for Kingdom Hearts 3, but he's not actually going to think about what it's going to be until the game comes out. That's, I don't know, that seems a bit strange to me. But either way, with Final Fantasy XV, um, the DLC was a bit of a shambles, um, but they chose to do free updates throughout the rest of the year. And they wanted to do this to keep people engaged, but they wanted to try and supplement the game and make the game into more what they wanted it to be. And then they used the feedback to help steer where things were going to go so obviously they had the the feedback survey that they did where they looked into different offerings for season pass two um they looked at different gameplay mechanics and asked people questions about that about guest characters and, and all that kind of stuff and i think the main thing around it is that you can look at the negatives in in the sense that okay it, it's clear that they used the dlc and the free updates to supplement the game with stuff that really I don't say want to say it should have been in there, but could have been in the game when it launched. They just didn't have time to put it in there. Uh, things like the bestiary, the character switching, uh, those, those are things that could have been in there for launch. They just didn't have the time to just like properly, properly push it through. But the whole thing around what they've done, whether or not the way they've implemented it is good or bad, you know, there's there's arguments for both sides around that. The main thing is that we're now almost two years after the launch of the game and we are still talking about it and 
I think no matter whether or not the conversation is positive or negative, the fact is we are still talking about it. And if you look back at other games that released in 2016, I think, um, you know, a prominent one for me was obviously Uncharted 4. At the time, Uncharted 4 sold, uh, they're saying by the end of 2016, it sold 8.7 million copies, way more than Final Fantasy 15 managed. Uh, but if we're looking at it now, two years later, you know, the conversation, there are around five to six times more conversations happening around Final Fantasy 15 than there are Uncharted 4. And, you know, when you're looking at it in the context of, well, that makes sense because Uncharted 4, there's nothing going on with it. And that's the whole point. They've, they've managed to keep the conversation going around Final Fantasy 15. And they've managed to sometimes just do too much. But they did that pre-launch as well, you know, with the active time reports. Sometimes they just did too many and people got burnt out. I think this year with Final Fantasy 15, they obviously announced the season pass 2 uh, at PAX East. They've been doing a couple of updates to the Windows edition. But aside from that, they've they've chilled out a little bit. Um, they just they've just done some stuff around it at TGS. They obviously have just uh, released Pocket Edition HD, but they've been quite chilled out this year compared to how they were in the past. But but either way, we're still talking about it. There are a lot of people that are still excited for Season Pass Two, which is going to come out at the start of next year. And if you look at what it's done for the sales of the game, it's it's actually been I'd say quite quite uncommon in the way that it's actually gone. Even with all of the divisiveness around the game, because obviously there are plenty of people that love Final Fantasy XV, but there are also plenty of people that don't like it. It seems to be the common trend whenever we have a new release. Um, And I can see both sides. You know, there's definitely stuff that objectively you can say that Final Fantasy XV did well. But likewise, you can say there's stuff it just didn't do very well. Um, But, you know, even, even with all the commentary going on, the back and forth in the community about whether or not the game was actually good or not, um, you know, that has to have permeated into the wider masses too. But even with all of that going on, people are still buying the game. Just put that into your head. Two years later, people are still actively buying the game. And to, to reference this, so day one, we know that Final Fantasy XV, they had shipped 5 million copies. This time last year, September 2017, they did a, a press release saying that, 6. 5, that was up to 6.5 million, which means that in the 10 months that followed the release, it was selling around 150,000 copies per month. They've just done another release uh, at the start of this month to say that it's now on 8.1 million copies, which then means we're now 12 months after that release, and it's sold another 1.6 million copies, which means it's been selling on average 133,000 copies per month, which isn't that much of a decrease from the 150,000 copies. Now, sure, the rate will slow down further, but the fact is that we're we're two years on now and the game is still selling on average 133,000 copies per month, which if things continue at that rate or slightly slower, obviously there's going to be a boost when Season Pass 2 comes out and there's inevitably going to be an ultimate version that comes out with all the DLC included and that's going to give it a boost. But it means that in 15 to 20 months' time, the game could feasibly hit 10 million copies. And when when they initially said about that, hitting that 10 million milestone, uh, and obviously there was the whole misconception around them saying it had to hit 10 million, whereas Tabata was saying, that's our goal, that's what we're aiming for, it could actually hit 10 million. And according to uh, Daniel Ahmed, who, um, if if you guys don't know, he's, a, he's an analyst on Twitter who's really popular. According to his numbers, if Final Fantasy 15 even it gets to that point, 10 million, then it will be the best-selling Final Fantasy game in history if we're looking at sales exclusively on their original release platforms. 
Just wrap your head around that. Final Fantasy XV has a very real chance of outselling Final Fantasy VIII, X, and VII to become the best-selling Final Fantasy game in history on its release platform. That's insane. I, you know, if you think about everything that Final Fantasy XV has achieved, all of the the drama, the ten, the decade of development, the fact that it's now doing so well can only be seen as a good thing. It's it's put the franchise back on the map. They're definitely going to expand up. They have to. Like, they would be silly not to try and exploit the fact that this game has sold so many copies. They've brought in a whole new wave of fans that maybe hadn't played Final Fantasy before or even heard of it before. And that's exactly what Final Fantasy VII did. Now, you know, as when Final Fantasy VII came out, it split the fan base somewhat. There were lots of people who were used to playing the NES and the SNES versions that were, they were developed over time, but, you know, there were there was a commonality between them. There were, you know, if you look at even the graphical styles, you can see they're very similar. Seven was a big risk for the company. And when it came out, there were people that were unhappy about it. It, You know, you don't really think about that now because it was 20 years ago. But when it came out, Final Fantasy VII was very controversial within the fan base. It was so different from everything that had come before. But it brought in a, no- a whole new wave of players. I'm one of them. I'd never played Final Fantasy before 7. I had no preconceived notions about what the franchise should be. But Final Fantasy 7 brought me in. It sold me. And Final Fantasy 15 has potentially done that too. It's brought in a load of new people that are going to be anticipating the next installment in the franchise. And yes, they will have alienated some people with the way they've chosen to do things. And that's unfortunate. There's not really any way they could get around that. We're talking about 8 million people here. You know, if you if you please all of them, you are some kind of evil genius because that's just you know you're talking about something that is just so un unreasonable to try and please that many people. But you know they they've done something special with Final Fantasy 15, and we can't ignore that they've done they've done something that they, like you know even even if you look at some of the greats like Final Fantasy 9 didn't sell anywhere near as much as this, didn't sell anywhere near. And, you know, I think sometimes you just have to accept that what they've done has has been amazing. And I think, you know, if we're looking at long term, obviously I've done a very long intro to this topic here um, in terms of the games as a service. If we're looking long term, uh, if we're looking specifically at Tabatish projects, I feel as though from what from everything I know about the guy, and obviously I, I don't know him that well, um, I just know him from what he's created. I have to I have to work on the basis that he's going to take everything with Final Fantasy 15, the mess that he was given that somehow he's managed to turn around and make potentially into one of the best what is one of the best selling games in the franchise already. I have to assume that he's going to take that and make it work. Whatever he's working on, he's going to make it work. They're going to have a properly developed plan and they're going to be able to actually make it work. I mean, that it's very wishful thinking because every single, pretty much every single part of the Final Fantasy XV universe, franchise, whatever, has been delayed at some point to the fact that the Comrade standalone version has now been delayed too. But I have to work on the basis that I think they will make it work. And I think that unlike uh, what other companies do, um, the way that 15 worked was much better. I, I liked it a lot. Obviously, the DLC I wasn't too pleased about because... The episodes were... They should have been in the game. I think everyone knows that. Comrades, though... Comrades was different. And that's the kind of thing that I would would want to be DLC. So if Tabata, with his next game, 
does things like comrades as dlc fine if he does things like you know different costumes uh, and other kind of um things that are cosmetic as dlc fine don't have a problem with that and then if he does supplement the game that he's created with additional free content that would be great because even though the stuff they did for final fantasy 15 wasn't world breaking it was enough it was enough to keep me engaged it was enough to keep the conversation going and i think that's all they the, all we can hope for hopefully next time though they won't be doing cutscenes to try and fix the story uh, or, or patches to try and fix the story that would be a bad 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 thing but i think you know i have to look at it from the perspective of he's going to learn from this and what he does next time is going to be better and that's that's all there is to it i think it, it the the way they're doing it helps to keep the conversation going and if you really enjoy the game as there are a lot of people that enjoy the recent game that's only a good thing you know so many people are happy about the fact that we are still talking about 15 and the dlc is coming out and we get more story content if they did a sequel for the game people would buy it like there's no two ways around that and i think we have to get our head around like obviously i came into the franchise when there was the no sequel rule the game was done you move on to the next one but that doesn't mean that people don't want that it's just that's the, the approach they tried to take i feel like maybe they could do what they tried to start doing in terms of you have the game that comes out and then maybe another team works on the sequel maybe it's a, a lesser property maybe there's something else around it that isn't quite so high quality we know that uh, when they were working on 10-2 they managed to make 10-2 in i think less time than it took them to make 10 with a third of the staff and if they could do that moving forward great but then take the two-thirds of the staff to get them to working on something new something fresh something innovative if they can do that then then great and if that's how they want to do it and uh, maybe they can use the games as a service model to keep people engaged until the next thing comes out or or whatever like imagine if if um instead of doing season pass 2 it was actually final fantasy 15 part 2 that was coming out in in um at the start of next year or something else along those lines that would have been so much better but obviously they've they're learning they're learning and we have to just give them the time to do that unfortunately so yeah that's that's kind of my take on games as a service i think there is definitely a place for it uh, i think that that there were parts of the way they handled 15 that were good and there were parts that weren't good and i have to hope that moving forward they will build upon the stuff they did well and kind of sweep away the stuff that they didn't do so well okay so that's our main topic out of the way we're now going to move on to some questions i've got five questions for you guys um and we're going to see how we go so the first question is from hugathy on discord and uh, he wanted to know how do you guys like the final fantasy ultimania archive volume one what are your personal likes and dislikes about it i i actually so we have obviously got the um volume one i actually haven't spent too long going through it um and that's mostly because i haven't had time to do so i have really enjoyed the i guess the depth of it i I like the fact they've got so much concept art in there but i also didn't know when i bought it that um what it actually is that sounds a bit silly i know um but i think lauren and i were working on the the um the idea that it was actually the ultimanias that were being translated but it's not and I don't know if uh, any of you guys listening were aware of this either, but actually what the um, Ultimania archives are is 
So when the Final Fantasy franchise hit the 25th anniversary in Japan, they released 25th anniversary Memorial Ultimanias. And that's what's being translated. So it's not the original Ultimanias that are being translated. It's the anniversary, the 25th anniversary Ultimania that's being translated. So it's it's slightly different. So obviously when like Final Fantasy 15 came out, you have like the scenario Ultimania, the battle Ultimania. And it was kind of similar for the ones, the games that came, that happened previously. Um, but this that's being localized by Dark Horse is not that. It's not that at all. It's just the 25th Memorial Ultimania that's being translated. Um, so within that, you're getting loads of concept art. You're getting uh, biographies on certain characters. And there are some bits of information in there about the development. So, for example, for Final Fantasy VI, they have some of the original scripts in there. Uh, they have some of the storyboarding they had for the ending cutscene. Um, and they have some of the kind of character information that's uh, within there in terms of like what are the characters like, dislike, what their heights, their star signs, all that kind of stuff. And then they have a little uh, some information about them, but it's something too detailed and extensive. So if you're looking for, I guess, the all the backstory stuff they have in there, so like the Final Fantasy IX Ultimania, for example, had a whole timeline of uh, everything that was going on. They had, uh, and that was for each individual character. So example with um, Beatrix, when we did her origins video on YouTube, they had information in Ultimania about when she was born, um, the fact that um, prior to the game, it talks more about the rivalry that she developed with Steiner and how that came about, the fact they had duels when she was quite new into the military, um, but actually Steiner won the duels. Um, so that kind of stuff was in the Japanese Ultimanias. As far as I'm aware, that is not going to be included in this. But I haven't got the Final Fantasy 79 one. But Final Fantasy 1 through 6 obviously didn't have Ultimanias. They had uh, other books. But yeah, what's been translated is the Memorial Archive, um, not the Ultimanias. And I was kind of disappointed when I found that out. I was hoping that it was going to be the actual Ultimanias that were being translated. But that's not to say that what they've done is is bad. And I think if you're looking at it from a from a wider perspective... I think it's fantastic that it's even happening. Um, there's other things happening as well. On the way to a smile, it's being localized for the first time. I think the fact that they're actually going through this process and giving fans outside of Japan the ability to understand more about the games, get more involved with the lore and um, the wider stuff, that that's great and that can only get better. And again, it's a work in progress. It takes a while to translate these things and the fact that some people are willing to do it, some companies are willing to do it, can only be a positive thing and I hope that moving forward the sales of these products are good enough to encourage them to to work on more things moving forward. So our next question is from Joseph Hare on YouTube and he wants to know what's your favorite iteration of the summon system and how do you think summons will work moving forwards? I th- Honestly, I think my favorite iteration is Final Fantasy VIII um, and the reason I'd say that is because it, in every other game, I don't think I've ever actually used summons. I've never really seen a point to them. They, I mean, they're cool. They have fun cutscenes and stuff. And I might, I remember in Final Fantasy IX, I think I maybe used them a couple of times just to see what the, the animations were like. Seven, maybe used them a couple of times as well. Um, actually, ten, I probably used them the most because that's because they were the easiest way to cheese the game. But I think in Final Fantasy VIII, they were so much more integrated with the actual systems that you had. The fact that, you know, it was, it was, they were very much a part of the junctioning system and uh, they were how you learn abilities and they had their own abilities that they could learn as well. 
and obviously you had the boost system as too and they were actually powerful you know if you use the summon the final fantasy 8 and you and you use the boost system effectively you could do a lot of damage way more than you could do with a lot of the other stuff you had especially at the lower levels and i always felt in final fantasy 8 I, I very much used the summons probably more than any other game in the franchise for sure actually i don't think i ever really used them other than that I, I, in, in terms of the like other implementations though i think final fantasy 15 did a really good job in highlighting just how amazing the summons are you know when there's that real kind of shock and awe factor they're huge the fact that they integrated them in the wider world was fantastic but they were just so random they were extremely powerful but random there was nothing really to dictate which someone you're going to get or how you could bring them about and that I think it was very frustrating because, I mean, we've even seen it. Uh, so our, our, the events that we run, we have a Final Fantasy 15 challenge. We have to try and beat um, a mark in a certain amount of time. And, you know, it's, if you get a summon, then you're going to get a slight advantage in terms of how things are going to go out because they do so much damage. But it just seems so random whether or not someone actually gets a summon. I think moving forward, I'd want to see kind of a mixture between 8 and 15 where... The summons become integrated into the story and the character development, but they also have that really awesome power. Okay, so the next question is from Chris Sutherland on Facebook, and he wants to know, how much do you guys like Caius and Noel? Uh, That's actually very apt because we've just done an Origins video on Caius. I think it portrays him as a fantastic villain because he has so many different layers. And I think there's... It's kind of a shame in a way that Caius is in 13.2 because... I think a lot of people dismiss 13-2 because it's related to 13 and 13 again was so such a divisive game. You look at the sales, I think the sales of 13-2 are approximately half of that of 13. Um, but the whole thing is that the game actually fixed a lot of the problems that the first game had. Yeah, sure, it had the whole time travel stuff in there and that is super confusing. But either way, like, like it, Caius was such a good addition to the game. He is so much more like he's the villain that the first game needed, not in terms of the story, like because his story doesn't work with the first game, but more in terms of like the the stature he had, the gravitas, the the fact that he he had a compelling story, and he had a strong relationship as well. Like his relationship with Noel is good, his relationship with Yule is good, and they they managed to make a way for that to work with Lightning, and they could have just used it so so much more. That first game needed someone like him. They had Sid Reigns, but he just wasn't enough to really kind of drive it through. And, and Bartandalus was just so not interesting. Yeah, I just I just really... It was a real shame that Kaius got put in the second game and not the first one because I don't think many people got to appreciate everything that Kaius brought to the table and, and just how... Um, how sympathetic you can be towards his cause because i think when you first play the game through you maybe are just well he's positioned as this guy who's just a pain in the ass like he's just doing he's trying to end the world for such selfish reasons but when you actually kind of dig into his backstory and why he he went down that route it's you can't have anything other than sympathy for the guy because he didn't ask for any of the, the burdens he got given and he's just trying to escape them ultimately he's just trying to get free and he's trying to and also do the same for yule and i think that's that was really compelling 
Uh, and our last question is, I think I said five, but I'm going to do four because I need to wrap this up pretty soon. Um, so our last question is from Brandon Harris, uh, and he wants to know, would you like to see a 2D fighting game for the Final Fantasy franchise? And to that, I would say, yeah, if they could do it correctly. Uh, I, I think they've never actually done a 2D one. They've done, uh, obviously, Urgies was a 3D game, which had some Final Fantasy characters in there. I really enjoyed that at the time. Uh, and they used to dabble with fighting games quite a lot, actually. I don't know if any of you guys ever got the chance to play Bushido Blade. I really enjoyed playing Bushido Blade. It was such a unique twist on combat in the sense that you could win, but still lose because you didn't win correctly. Frustrating as hell, but it made you really think about how you were actually going to play the game. Obviously, in recent times, we've got the Dissidia franchise, which, you know, is, is a very different take on the fighting uh, fighting games. And they tried to implement a lot of unique mechanics, which which work. Um, but you know, if they did a 2D fighting game, if they actually like hooked up with someone who was a real specialist in that franchise or or in that genre, like some pe- some franchises have, then that could be really fun. And you know, all you've got to do is look at Persona. If I'm hopefully not wrong here, but I'm pretty sure they've done a, a fighting game for Persona. Um, it shows it is very much possible to do it. And Final Fantasy has such a diverse cast of characters; they could easily do that and have people interested. So yeah, that's all of the questions answered. Hopefully the answers were satisfactory. We're now going to go on to our music segment, which is um, it's a song from Final Fantasy X. Uh, it's a, it, I'm not going to say ironic, but it's an arrangement of Run, which um, I'm normally quite critical of Junja Nakano, but I really love this arrangement and it's by uh, Better Siba on YouTube. So hopefully you guys enjoy listening to that. The next episode of Final Fantasy Union is scheduled to come out on the 16th of October. You can subscribe to Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts Union on iTunes Store. Just search for Final Fantasy and we're there or thereabouts. Hopefully, Lauren will be back to be able to join me. Um, Elizabeth will hopefully be sleeping a bit better by then, so it will be much easier for us to try and uh, lo- find work out the logistics in terms of how we're going to try and find that time slot to record. But uh, if not... I think today's show's been alright with me just talking to myself for a while. Hopefully you guys enjoy the discussion. If you did, uh, please, please, please uh, head over to the Discord channel. Uh, we have closing on 500 people in the Discord now and after every single podcast, it's so fun to have discussions about things that have, uh, have happened or, or things that I've said um and just to continue the dialogue much like they've done with final fantasy 15 you know just let's just just have continual discussion around things um the obviously it's a chance for you to talk to to lauren and myself as well we're both on there we both hang out all the time so um if you want to join the discord just go to the website finalfantasyunit.com there's a big discord link on the the top right of the the home page uh just click on that sign up and you can get in the channel and start talking to people Obviously, um, if you do enjoy what we do as well uh, and you want to support us even more than that, you can do so on Patreon. Just check out our Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash FFKHUnion. And uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it for me just talking nonsense for, uh, I think I've done pretty well actually. You know, it looks like it's well over the half an hour mark, which I was a bit nervous about initially, honestly, when we started uh, doing this. So yeah, I think it's done all right. So for now, I'm going to say goodbye and uh, thanks for listening. And this has been a FinalFantasyUnion.com production.